Do you believe that? Amen. I give honor to all of your leadership. I, I, wanna, I don't want to ignore the formality of, I don't believe it's a formality. I believe it's right that you should honor the leadership. And I give honor today to Mom and Pop Beecham. Do you love your bishops today? I honor you today, sir. Give honor to your pastor, brother and sister Beecham. Just special people to my family, of course. Love them dearly. Do you love your pastor? It's right to give honor to your pastor. To the Wilson family, I love you guys very much. So thankful. And we could honestly, I'm telling you, there's so many good people in this church. If I just went down the list, I would probably lose friends because I'd miss somebody. And I don't want to do that. I, I will give honor to my friend, Brother Mark Crowder, just an apostolic worship leader. And that's what we need. I, I, don't, I don't want a worship leader that just comes up and sings cute and sings pretty and has a great voice. I, I want the Holy Ghost to move through a worship leader. And I know that God moves through Brother Mark Crowder, as we've already seen. Uh, it's already been mentioned, just this incredible weekend. The team is just amazing. Anna, you are a great leader wherever you are. Anna, you are a great leader and give honor to you today. And my family, my family's here somewhere, probably in the back. My wife's probably wrangling the children, so I, I love you, babe. I love you, Grayson, Novi, and Isaac. Yeah, they're back there. I see you. Hi, guys. Love you all very much. Glad that they're with me. Thank you for allowing us and to be here and allowing my family to be here. We love you guys. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. This service has been orchestrated by God. As I was in prayer and preparation and studying this morning, you know, if you've ever prepared a sermon, you, you know, you, you just, you want to make sure that you're tapping into what God's wanting you to say. And uh, there's never been more confidence. Uh, I have, in all the times I've preached, I have never had more confidence than I do right now of what God is wanting me to preach to you, to this church right now. He's confirmed it multiple times over today. As a matter of fact, I could have promised you that Brother Crowder had stolen my notes uh, as all the things that he said are in here. And so you'll have to forgive me, but I promised God I'd say it anyway. I'd say it anyway. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He said, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And this scripture right here is maybe one of the most crucial scriptures, I believe, in the year 2022. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's a lot of battles that we are going after that are flesh and blood battles. And I believe the Lord is trying to show us here that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but what we do fight against, what we are in battle against is principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. We are battling against spiritual wickedness in high places. And he said, wherefore, because of all of that, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, after you've done everything that you can do, after you've done all that you know to do, after you've read your Bible and you've done everything that the Word of God tells you to do, after you've put on the whole armor of God, He said, after doing all of the preparation, stand. 
And that word stand means simply to be firm, to dig in. That when you're in the middle of the battle, that you don't cower down and you don't back down, but you dig, you literally dig in and you stand firm. Somebody look at your neighbor and tell them, stand firm. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I love you, Jesus. I'm so thankful. God, for what you have already done in this room, God, there has already been miracles. There has already been deliverance, I believe, God. And I know that you are going to continue what you have already started. So, Lord, I'm asking you for your anointing, God. Your word is anointed, God. I just pray that for the next few minutes you would use me to speak what you told me to say. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In our opening text, the Apostle Paul He's concluding a letter to the church in Ephesus and he's ending this letter by reminding them that they're in the battle. And after all of his instructions, he's leaving them with this one more valuable tip of information. He's telling them, don't forget that you are in a spiritual war. You are in a battle with the enemy of your soul. And if we fast forward to today in 2022, we find ourselves still fighting this same spiritual war. War. Yes, we are still at battle with principalities and powers. Yes, we are still at battle with the rulers of the darkness in this world. And yes, we are still at battle with spiritual wickedness in high places. It doesn't take a genius or a really smart person to see and sense that the battle that we're seeing here, this spiritual battle, that the intensity and the, the temperature seems to have been turned up lately. It just seems like we've turned a page and we're in a new chapter in this spiritual battle. And this chapter, it can get pretty rough. It seems like it can be pretty tough. If you pay attention to what's going on in our world, it seems like this new chapter is a pretty tough one. We're experiencing things that we've really never experienced in this new chapter. We're facing stuff that we've never dealt with or I've never dealt with in my lifetime. And the intensity of the battle is increasing. I like to say it's, it's getting wild out there. There's an all-out assault on the fundamental doctrines and principles of the Word of God. There's an effort to water down biblical truths. There's an effort to redefine what's right and what's wrong. But in the middle of all the craziness, and in the battle, and the sin, and the world's agenda, can I just pause and encourage you for just a moment? None of what's happening in our world has surprised God. The Jesus that you were just singing and lifting your hands about, He knew every bit of this was going to happen. He was already aware. He is already knowing what is going to happen. None of this has surprised God. None of what we are experiencing has caught God off guard. There's nothing about this spiritual battle that we're facing that has diminished God's power and ability to see us through it. So I still believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I still believe that His power is unfailing and it never weakens. As a matter of fact, I happen to believe that while we're experiencing these attacks and this spiritual warfare, things that we've never faced before, we're also getting ready to experience the power of God like we have never experienced it in our life. I believe it. I would submit to you that God does his best work when his people are living through the toughest of times. Now, we don't like that. 
Because we get really comfortable in our nine to fives and we get really comfortable in our check the box and we get really comfortable. But I believe that what's happening in our world is shaping up for us to see an end time revival and to see the power of God on display like we have never seen before. I believe it. I believe it. It's in the middle of your struggle that God reveals his true power. It's when you find yourself in the heat of the battle that God just, he shows up and he does what only he can do. So I just have this song in my spirit this morning. It's an old song. The old timers used to sing it. And they say, I got a feeling that everything is going to be all right. I don't know what Facebook is telling you, and I don't know what the local news is saying, but when I look at my Bible, I can't help but believe that everything is going to be all right. If I am with Jesus, I'm on the winning side. If God before me, who can be against me? That's what I believe. I believe it's going to be okay. Some of you, that's a word for you right there. You live in so much fear and turmoil. And God just sent me to tell you one simple phrase. It's going to be okay. You're right where you belong. You're right where you need to be. Stay tapped in. Don't give up now. Stay right here because it's going to be okay. How can I say that? How can you be so confident, preacher? Have you seen what's going on? How, do you, how can you get up there and say to all of us that everything's going to be okay? It's really simple because God is still God. And God is still on the throne. He still holds all power in heaven and in earth. And if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you are, if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, today's a great day to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And if you are filled with the Holy Ghost, my Bible tells me that greater is He that's in me than He that's in the world. I still believe that. I still believe that if I got the spirit of Almighty God living on the inside, there ain't nothing that the devil, there ain't nothing that hell, there ain't nothing that culture, there ain't nothing that Disney World, there ain't nothing that nobody can throw at me that God has not already prepared me for and given me everything that I need to go through it. He's still on the throne. You hear me this morning. I'm not naive enough to believe that the fight's not real because the fight is real. And the only way we win the fight is if we stay in the fight. You can't quit the battle and somehow win. doesn't work that way. I was taught from a young age, son, quitters never win. Every time I'd mess up on the ball field or something, I'd want to walk off. My dad would remind me, quitters never win. And the same is true in the spiritual. Quitters are not going to win. You can't give up and somehow expect to live a victorious life. You, you, can't, you can't walk away and throw in the towel and somehow think that you're going to still have a victorious life. There's no victory in quitting. It, it doesn't work that way. The, the enemy would love for you to quit. The enemy would love for you to throw in the towel. He'd love for you to quit the fight and take the road that seems easier and go with the watered-down doctrine and go with the easier pathway and go with what everybody else is saying where they're not experiencing any type of turmoil and no pushback and they can preach whatever they want to because they're not even preaching what's in here. He would love for us to do that. He'd love for you to take a day off and cash it in and walk away and give up. But what I have been messed up by is we always think about 
what, what it's like to quit. We always are tempted by the idea of quitting and how much easier it is. But have we ever looked at the other side of that? Have you ever considered the cost of disengaging from the battle? We can look at the story of David, 2 Samuel chapter number 11, verses 1 through 4. says, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war. When the kings normally went out to war, David made a decision. David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind. David made a decision to disengage from the battle. When the kings were normally out fighting, David stayed behind. And verse number 2 says, late one afternoon after his midday rest. <laughs> Love a good midday rest. We didn't really get that today because they put church in the middle of the day. <laughs> late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. This, this just baffles me. We're talking about David. The, the dude's no stranger to battle. Right, this, this is David we're talking about, the, the, the shepherd boy. We, we, we know he's not afraid of the battle. We're talking about David, the guy that stood face to face with a giant when he was a boy. And while all the, the, the men and the men of the army were, were cowering down in fear, it was David that wasn't afraid of the battle. He wasn't afraid to go face the giant. We're talking about David. He's the shepherd that killed lions to protect his sheep. David is not afraid of the battle. It wasn't fear that kept David at home. But this time, everybody else is out fighting. But what's David doing? He's enjoying that midday nap. He's laid up in the bed, relaxing. And I just like to use my imagination and think if David had Netflix. Y'all get nervous now because I said that word. If David had Netflix, I imagine he'd have been binge watching probably one of his favorite shows. While all everybody else was at battle. David was probably sitting on his lazy boy scrolling through Facebook and Instagram. And I can just imagine. He's like, look. They won. Jo Joab just posted. We, we destroyed the Ammonite army. We got Rabbah. Let's go. Everybody else is fighting. David's at home relaxing. And I can just imagine he crawls out of bed and he's anything like me. It takes a minute. <laughs> he stretches. Probably lets out a big yawn, yawn because midday naps are really hard. And he decides to walk out on the roof of his palace. And the Bible says that when he walked out on the roof, as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. David perched in his place of relaxation in an elevated balcony, overlooking the city, sees something he never should have seen. I'm sure Bathsheba assumed that the king wasn't home. After all, this was a time when the kings should be at war. They weren't staying home from the battle. The kings were involved in the battle. They were with the rest of the men in the battle. And I, don't, I don't have time to break every bit of this down, but this is what I want to show you that God showed me is that David had elevated himself to the highest place in the building. And that's when he saw Bathsheba. Meanwhile, the warriors were at ground level fighting the battle. David had elevated himself to the highest place in the building. And that's whenever he saw something he shouldn't see. While all the other men were out at war at ground level fighting the battle. 
So can I just pause and challenge you? If all we ever do is seek to elevate ourselves to a higher place in the natural while God is expecting us to be boots on the ground, we better be careful because that's when sometimes the view from the top is not what we thought it was going to be. David wasn't supposed to be at that place at that time. He was supposed to be fighting in the battle. He was supposed to be leading his men in battle. And I don't know about you, but I would rather be boots on the ground in the heat of the battle and know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm walking right in the will of God. Know that I'm right where God wants me to be. I don't care about opportunities of elevation. I'm looking for opportunities to stay in the will of God. And the will of God is that every person in this room would stay in the fight. The will of God is for you to have victory in your life. See, the story of David didn't end with David seeing Bathsheba. What he saw with his eyes set into motion a terrible plan of action. Verse 3 says that after David went up on the roof and after he saw her, he sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, the Bible says that he slept with her. What you see, what you see with your eyes will often determine what you do in your actions. What you are laying your eyes on is going to set into motion an action plan, and David probably never intended for this action plan to lead where it did. Because you see, what, is, what we see is what feeds the desires of our heart. And the story goes on that Bathsheba ends up getting pregnant and David, already living in sin now, begins to try to cover this up by calling Uriah back from the battle in hopes that he would sleep with Bathsheba that night. But Uriah, with an integrity that was contrasting to David's, refused to sleep with his wife while his men on the battlefield were still fighting. So David's plan failed, which caused him to take more drastic measures to cover up his sin. He called for Joab and told him to move Uriah to the front line of battle and then to pull back so that Uriah would be killed. And this time, David's plan worked. Uriah was killed in battle. Now David, King David, is not only an adulterer, now he's also a murderer. And after a time of mourning, David marries Bathsheba and she gives birth to their son. But the Bible says in 2 Samuel 11 and 27 that the Lord was displeased with what David had done. I don't want to be in that place. I don't want it to look like I got away with it. I don't want to make decisions and actions and it it looks like it was covered up and it was all good and nobody's found out. It's kept in the dark and in secret. Can I tell you, God sees. And I don't want to be in a place where God is displeased with my actions. So what was the cost of David's decision to stay behind? Because that's what we're talking about. David stayed behind. What was that cost to disengage? What was the cost of his affair with Bathsheba? What was the cost of the murder of Uriah? The Bible says that it cost him the life of the very son that was conceived by his decisions as well as three other sons. David's sin resulted in the death of his children. The cost of David's decision to stay home and commit adultery and murder caused the life of his sons to be lost. Please, please hear me this afternoon. This is what you need to understand. I know the cost of battle can be high at times. 
I know that. I understand that. I know that there's risk involved in the battle. I know that this battle that we're facing is real and there's pain involved and I know it's not easy and I know that there's tears and there's heartache and there's pain all along the way. But what you have to understand today is that the cost of staying behind is always greater than the cost of staying in the battle. The price you're going to pay for disengaging from the battle is always going to be greater than whatever price you're going to pay to stay in the fight. So let me encourage you today. Stay in the fight. Don't give up now. Don't stay behind when everybody else is going to battle. Don't be on the sidelines when all the church is going into the community and going to battle with spiritual warfare. Don't take a day off when everybody around you is saying, we're going to go after that thing and we're going to defeat it. And you decide to take a day off. Go with it. Go with the warriors. Stay in the battle. Keep going. It's going to be worth it. Because victory only comes to those who keep on fighting. So some of you may be thinking, well, that's great, preacher. I agree with you. I agree that we should stay in the fight. But how do I stay in the fight when it gets really difficult and really hard? How do I stay in the fight? How do I avoid this real temptation to throw in the towel and to walk away and to give up on everything? Well, let me tell you what I believe the Lord wanted me to say to this church today. Let me tell you what I believe it's going to take to stay in the fight and to not only stay in the fight, but to win the fight. We are going to have to, listen, we're going to have to move the magnifier. What does that mean? It means that we're going to have to move the magnifier off of all of our problems and over to the problem solver. We're going to have to move the magnifier off of the battle and how intense it is and how heavy it is and how real it is. And we're going to have to move that magnifier over to our protector and over to our Savior. We're going to have to move the magnifier off of all the risks and off of all the pains and off of all the struggles and the what-ifs and what might happen and what could happen. And we're going to have to move the magnifier over to the God of our salvation. We need to move the magnifier off of the enemy. And we need to move the magnifier onto the Savior. That's the key to staying in the fight is magnifying the right thing. we got to magnify the right thing. There's a story in Numbers chapter 13. God tells Moses to send 12 spies, 12 men to scout out the land of Canaan. You know the story. And the land, this is the land that he had already promised them. He had already told them that I'm going to give you this land. And Moses sends the 12 men and they returned and they brought back a negative fear-filled report. And verse 31 of verse chapter 13 says, but the men who had gone up with him responded. He said this, we can't attack the people because they are stronger than we are. How encouraging is that? So they gave a negative report. They gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land that they had scouted. The land we pa- they said, the land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants and all the people we saw in it are men of great size. And he ended verse 33 with this. He said, to ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers and we must have seemed the same to them. Did you catch that? They viewed 
the people of the city. They viewed the battle. They viewed the situation. They viewed the risk, the the issue, what, what they had to conquer. They viewed it as great men of great size, and the battle was going to be too big. It was going to be impossible. And they viewed themselves as grasshoppers. They had put the magnifier in the wrong place. And how quickly they must have forgotten how God had delivered them from Egypt. How quickly they had forgotten how God parted the Red Sea and provided food and water as they traveled through the desert. Over and over and over again, they magnified their problem and they minimized their God. And I just wonder how many times I've done the same things. How many times you've done the same thing. How many times I've minimized the miracle that he's already performed because of something that I'm facing right now. How many times have I looked at what I'm up against right now and all I can see is how big and how hard and how much problem it's going to be and I've already forgotten everything that he's already done for me. I've already forgotten about how many times his power was put on display over and over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but when I look back over my life, I cannot help but thank God for what he has brought me from already. I don't know what your story is, but if your story was like mine, you couldn't help but pause and say, thank you, Jesus, for your power. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you have already done. When I think about what he's done for me, I could have been dead, drunk, addicted, hung up, and strung out. But thanks be to God that I didn't have to stay stuck in that life because he forgave me and he washed away my sins and he set me back on the right path. Anybody testify today you're not who you used to be? You may not be who you want to be, but thank God you're not who you used to be. When you think about deliverance and when you think about where you should have been, can you just lift your hands right now and say, thank you, Jesus. Can you lift up your voice right now and just thank him? When you think about all the blessings and all the miracles and everything that he's done, every chain of bondage that he broke, every addiction that was broken. I can't help but say thank you, Jesus. When I think about my beautiful family that I don't deserve, I can't help but say thank you, Jesus. How could I ever magnify all the problems when I look at all the blessings in my life? How could I ever get so confused and magnify all the issues and talk about all the problems and all the struggles and never mention how great you really are? I'm not who I used to be. And I'm thankful, musicians, you can come. So when I think about all he's done, when I think about all the blessings, when I think about all the miracles, I I, want to see more miracles. I'm going to be honest. I want to see more miracles. I believe there's going to be more miracles here today, Brother Mark. I believe it. I want to see more. But I'm convinced if I don't ever see another miracle, he's already done enough for me to never stop praising him, to never stop lifting him up, to never stop. I don't don't want to be a miracle junkie and just looking for my next miracle and never thanking God for what he's already done. I believe God will shut the windows of heaven if all we're ever doing is begging and begging and begging and asking. And we can't even acknowledge the goodness of God that we've already experienced. Can you lift your hands right now? Because I know God's about to do something in this place, but we ought to take a moment and thank him for his goodness right now. God, I don't, I don't want to ask you something, Lord, until I properly thanked you for what you've already done, God. I don't want to come today with an expectation that you're going to do something unless I've acknowledged what you've already been doing, God.
Thank you, Jesus. So when I think about all he's done, I don't know about you, but I've made up my mind that if I'm going to magnify something, I'm just going to magnify God. If I'm going to get on Facebook and magnify something, why don't I just magnify God on Facebook? If I'm going to be talking to my co-workers and my friends and I'm going to be talking about somebody, why don't I talk about what God's doing in somebody's life and magnify Him so that He gets the glory? I think, and I've been guilty of this myself, we give too much credit to the devil. We talk about how powerful he is and all the things he's done, and the devil's messing with me again, and he's done this, and my kids, and all this. And, and sometimes we, we have so much negative report in our mouth, Brother Beecham. And I'm thinking, if anybody ever heard what I'm saying, would they even believe the God that I serve? But I refuse. I'm making up my mind that if I'm going to magnify anything, why don't we just magnify God? If we're going to talk good about something, let's talk good about Jesus. If we're going to make something bigger, let's talk about how great God is. If I'm going to talk about how great something is, let's talk about how great he is. I don't want to talk about how bad everything is over here and how messed up that is over there. I want to magnify the Lord. If I'm going to believe a report about my enemy, I choose to believe the report of the Lord. And that report says that we already have victory through Jesus Christ. Some of you need to believe the report of the Lord today. You already have victory through Jesus Christ. What Jesus did on the cross of Calvary has already provided everything that you need today. Every problem and every battle and every struggle. You have access to everything that you need today. So if I'm going to believe a report, I choose to believe the report of the Lord. If I'm going to look at Facebook and see a post, I want to see a post that talks about how great my God is. I want to see something that elevates Jesus and lifts him up. His report says that greater is he. <laughs> greater is he. It's something that we just quote. We throw it around. Preachers throw it around, especially when you're really feeling it. You know, Brother Mark, greater is he. I don't want to just say it. I want to live it. I want to walk in it. I want to go to the Dollar General store and walk in with the confidence. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in Dollar General. I want to walk into Kroger and knowing that I might deal with some craziness. Greater is he that's in me than every devil that's walking around in Kroger. I want to know without a shadow of a doubt that my mind is made up. The greater is he that's in me because I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm filled with the Spirit of God and I have access to all power. Why don't we choose to move the magnifier off of our problems and off of our issues and off of the devil and put the magnifier where it belongs and magnify the Lord. Let's magnify God in the city of Lexington. Let's magnify God when we're talking to our children. Let's magnify God in our homes and on our jobs and in our schools. Let's magnify the Lord. Psalms 34.3, you can stand says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Some of you need to get that. I don't want to just look and tell you to magnify the Lord. I want you to magnify the Lord with me. 
I don't want to just be out here preaching about something. I want to do it together. I want to magnify the Lord with me. I want to lift our hands together. I want to praise him together. I want this church to be a church that magnifies the Lord together. And the second half says, let us exalt his name together. I wonder right now if you could lift your hands as one united body and lift up the name of Jesus and exalt his name together and magnify the Lord with me. I worship you, Jesus. I magnify you today, God. I cannot make you bigger, God. All I can do is change my perspective about how I see you, Lord. So I magnify you today. I'm going to magnify him. Even in the middle of my storm. Even in the middle of my trial middle of things I don't understand and I don't know why it's happening to me and I don't know why I got that report and I don't know why my kids are acting that way and I don't know why my marriage is falling apart I don't know why it's happening but this one thing I know I'm going to magnify the Lord I'm going to magnify you God through every battle and every storm and every struggle I choose today to lift up my hands and magnify the Lord And I love this verse in Psalm 69 and 30. It says, I will praise the name of God with a song. What we experienced earlier is not just because Brother Mark can sing so good, and he can. It's the response of when we begin to sing the name of God through song, when we begin to lift him up. The Bible says that he inhabits, he lives in, he dwells in. This is where he wants to reside, where there's worshipers, where there's people that will lift him up and exalt his name. That's why you see what happened here. It's not an emotional thing. It's not just an abundance of emotion. It's a response to God's goodness and the necessity of God in our life. It's us recognizing that we have to lift up the name of Jesus. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Some of you are believing that what happens whenever you get your focus off of your problem and you get your focus on God and you're going to start to see chains. (laughs) The chains may still be there right now, but I believe that when you leave, the chains are going to be gone. I know the problem is real, but and it may not be any easier when you walk out, but I'm praying that your perspective about it changes when you leave today. I know that the battle is hard and real, but I'm praying that you have moving the magnifier off of that problem and onto God. Brother Mark, you already said it. God showed me today in Scripture. Took me to Acts 16. Paul and Silas sitting in that jail cell. I don't know about y'all, I've never been in jail, thank God. Close, real close. Some of y'all can't say that. I'm not looking around. But God told me that what we're going to experience today is exactly what Paul and Silas experienced in that jail cell. They were bound in the middle of the jail. They had no hope of escape. They were just, they were stuck. They were wrapped up in bondage. But Paul and Silas had made up their mind. They had made a decision that they were going to do something that in the natural seemed ridiculous. That in the middle of their bondage, in 
the middle of prison not knowing if this was going to be the end and if they were going to experience death at this point. They chose to do something radical. They began to sing and they begin to praise, and they begin to magnify God. They trusted God so much that even in the middle of deadly circumstances, locked up in a prison, they could not help and they couldn't keep from magnifying Jesus. The Bible says that when they begin to praise God, listen, and he said it, the Bible says they begin to praise God, not only did their chains fall off, but every prison door in the jailhouse was opened up. And let me tell you what's about to happen in this room. There's about to be a continuation of what has already started. If two men magnifying God can break the door off every cell in that prison, what could happen in this room today if an entire room full of people begin to magnify God? Oh, I saw it in my mind's eye today that as you were magnifying God, chains of bondage were being broken off in this room. How many chains could be broken in the room today? There is a multiple, this is a word from God. There is a multiplication of miracles when you begin to magnify God. It wasn't just Paul and Silas that were set free. There was a multiplication of miracles because of their praise and magnifying God. So I believe that as you are magnifying God today, that you got to have faith that God is breaking prison doors open all across this community. I believe, Brother Marshall, I think you said it. Your children are coming home. I, I feel there's about to be a revival of prodigals in our country. It's already happening. I got to hurry. I, I was listening to a sermon, Brother Josh Carson. I think Brother Jason Pierce, he was preaching about prodigals, and Brother Josh Carson came up and he said, God had showed him something in that scripture. It's so powerful. He said, The first place the prodigal came back to wasn't the house. The first place the prodigal came to was the father. I believe there's about to be a revival in this city, Brother Beecher, of prodigals. And you're not going to see it here first. You're going to see the overflow of what's about to happen today. Because as we magnify God, I believe chains are going to be broken across this city. And I believe prodigals are going to be stirred and awakened. And they're going to have a conversation with their Father in heaven. They're going to begin to fall on their knees at their bedside. And they're going to repent at their bedside. And when they walk in that door, they're going to be walking with hands lifted, magnifying God together. I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. So every hand lifted right now. I don't know your situation. I don't know what you're going through. I know the battle's real. I know the struggle's real. The problems are real. But we serve a real big God today. So this is what I want you to do. If you're able at all, if you're able at all, I want you to stand right now. And I want as many people as can. I'm not, I don't want an altar call where we come down and we're begging God for this and we're begging God for that. I believe that the, the, result, the miracles are going to be a result of the magnification that's about to happen right now. I do believe there's going to be miracles, but the prerequisite is about to be that we're going to magnify the Lord. And as you come to this altar, I want you to begin with your voice. 
to begin to thank God. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done. God, thank you for all of the victories in my life. Thank you, God, for keeping my family safe. We should have been dead. We should have died in that car wreck. We should have been dead on the side of the road. But God, you kept me safe. And today I'm coming to magnify you, God. I know there's issues, and I know there's sickness, and I know there's problems. But God, I choose to magnify you today. Come on, somebody magnify the Lord with your hands lifted. I thank you, Jesus. Where would I be without you, Lord? Where would I be without you, God? Anything can happen. 